Wonderful. Well, while we're waiting on uh, parents to rejoin us, um, if you weren't here last week, in the first of um, September, we had a family a family service, and we, we just took a moment to uh, look at four rhythms in our lives, and we talked about little things making a big difference. Um, unfortunately, I forgot to press record, so I don't have a recording for you to listen back. Um, but one of the things we encourage people to do, which you may have done or may not have done, um, is to think through some of these four rhythms that we talk about often, um, story, uh, family, spirit, and mission. And we talked about taking maybe one practice or one action or one activity that we could do as individuals, as families, as friends together that would actually lead to a massive change in our lives and in the people around us. And we talked about how big change, God of the dramatic, God of the encounter, which we anticipate and expect him to do much of that in 2023. I'm actually really expecting for that. But his inbreaking of power is built on small, simple decisions that we take every day to submit and surrender our lives to Jesus. And so this is just a real practical tool to do that. So if you want to grab one, I'm going to set them on the seat over there. You're very welcome to. What we're going to be doing over the next four weeks is just taking one of those each and just unpacking what does that look like for us as a community, as individuals, as people in this world. Um, I, I've got so much buzzing in my heart, my mind can't, can't quite keep up at the moment, so I'm going to try and articulate all that is on my heart. But for me personally, there's this call back or call to reorientate afresh to uh, the simple good news of Jesus and his kingdom in every area of my life. And in a world that is complicated to navigate at times, and we want to be people that do that. Um, and so this morning, uh, we're going to unpack the first one, but I'll leave those there. You can take them and grab them now, or you can do it afterwards. Cool. You all right? What I want to do, and my goal for this morning, is that you would leave with a passion and appetite and hunger to get into the scriptures, the scriptures, the Bible, um, afresh. That there would be something that you leave with that would just be lit inside of you that would be like, I, I need this in my life. I need the story of God regularly encountered in the scripture. And that where you've maybe felt like that's a tricky rhythm or that's uh, not easy for you or not life-giving for you, that God in his grace and mercy through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the one that um, awakens the scriptures to us, would actually do something in you that would make it alive again. And uh, that's my heart, that's my prayer, and uh, that you would value and have a, a, a view of the scriptures as something beautiful, sacred, and powerful in your life. So that's my goal. Whether we get there, I don't know, but the Holy Spirit's with me, so he will back it up if I make a mess of it, no problem. Um, so let me pray and ask him just to do that and... Uh, Apologize for me undermining myself in the process. God, I thank you that you are king and Lord, that you are good and uh, that you are with us all the time. Lord, your story is the most incredible, profound, life-altering thing I've ever encountered. And your word is, is a gift to us. I pray this morning in... Um, in a world that's difficult, challenging at times to navigate, I pray that you would awaken our hearts afresh to the beauty of your story contained in the Bible. It would be life to us, and it would be beauty to us, and it would be transformative for us. Amen. 
Um, we share this in our, in our community as this idea of story. We use the word story. And, and the, the heart for us is that we would be a people who are shaped by his story, immersed in it, transformed by it. And what we mean by that is we mean that we are a people of the scriptures, of the Bible, and its story. And that story finds its meaning and its center point in the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. And what I want to do this morning is just unpack what it looks like for us to live under that story. I don't know if you think about it this way. You might use different language for it. But, and we all, we all live in a story. And I don't mean just like, you know, a, a novel or a fictional idea. I mean, you all live in a story or under a story. And he talks about this idea of the story that we live under is the story that we live out. And what he means by that is the way in which we understand and perceive the world, what I'm calling story. The way we view it and experience it shapes how we actually interact and live in the story that we're part of. And so the things that we listen to, the way we view the world, the way we understand it are deeply important. You and I each have a way of understanding, of seeing the world how we experience it and live in it. You might call it a story, like I said. You might call it a worldview. You might call it a paradigm. You might call it a lens. I'm sure you've got other words that you could throw out. It's a way in which we interpret and assign meaning in the world. For this morning, I'm calling it a story. You with me so far? Here's the challenge. You have a story a product of your upbringing, lots of different elements that have shaped that and come to form your way of understanding and interacting with the world. But you also live in a world that is full of multiple complex and competing stories. I know we've talked about this a little bit before. And at times it can feel, especially if the story that you live under is the story of Jesus, the good news story contained in the Bible. Sometimes if you listen to the stories that are around you or that are most dominant, in our worlds, it can feel like it's increasingly difficult to live under that story and feel like it means something. It can feel like it's something I have to apologize for or run away from. It can lose its power or its impact. And yet my heart for me, for you, is that we would be people who are equipped with love and grace to live as kingdom people in the kingdom story of which Christ is the center and the bringer of life to those around us. How do we do that? Well, it starts with the scripture, the Bible, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Someone who I will not name, um, who is close to me, um, in an educational establishment, which I will not name, and uh, with an educator who I also will not name, not in this room, okay? Um, I was having a conversation with them, and they came home um, frustrated, challenged, um, angry, agitated by what their teacher had talked about when it came to an educator. I'm trying to be vague, but I'm not. Um, had come home unpacking the scripture story and basically it said, it's a load of rubbish. If you believe this, you're an idiot. Yeah. Well, maybe not use that language exactly, but this is a teacher who is responsible for um, teaching the biblical story, at least unpacking it. But it's not unusual. That's a not, not an unusual statement. I'm not criticizing them in, in, in any sense. But what it did was it threw up this sense of, well, how do I live believing and holding to a story that I am trying to wrestle with and believe that it shapes my whole life? 
And yet, in, I'm in a world where increasingly that's the view. Yeah. That you're like, are you, are you serious? Like, you actually believe that? <laughs> you value that? And how do we do that in a way that doesn't sort of arm ourselves for some kind of culture war, which is not the way of Jesus, by the way, and not our heart as a community, but actually rediscovers the value and the wonder of this story and learns how to deconstruct some of our religious ideas that are not the kingdom, and I can talk about that another day, and the stories in our culture that actually aren't the way of Jesus, and when you unpick them, don't hold value or truth, but come to us regularly throughout the day. Excited? Mm-hmm. Nervous? I want us to be a people, I want to be a person who are equipped to share this story with love and grace, believing that it is the story that transforms the world. That is my conviction. And so I want to take you through three things this morning about the biblical story. And I can't do all that I want to do in this moment. I, I, it may be that at different moments throughout this year, we will, we will unpack some of this in more detail in places that we can do that. I would love to give you some of the best learning and how to interpret the scriptures. It's deeply important. It would take me way too long to do that this morning, but we'll look at that another time. But what I want to do with you is, is, is recapture, rekindle the fire inside of you for this story and for its impact on your life. And so the first thing I want to talk about is how the scriptures uh, are sacred. The scriptures are sacred. I don't know if that's something that you feel or have learned to be true. Maybe you don't feel that or believe that, and that's okay. But I'll be upfront with you. I love the Bible. It has been something that I've wrestled with at different moments in my life that I've wondered and questioned and sought to unravel and unpack. But it has become something that I deeply love and value and need in my life. doesn't mean I'm always great at reading it, but I try where possible to embrace and immerse my life in its story and in its pages. And so I'm coming from that viewpoint, obviously biased, but maybe you're here and knew that already (laughs) because we're in a church. Um, I believe truly and wholeheartedly it is the one true story of the one true king. I read... And I've read a good bit of other stories and I've never come across anything quite like the story of Jesus contained in the scripture. And the more and more I read and study and engage with the themes of the Bible as we interpret it and try and contextualize and all the things and pieces that we need to do, it every time is overwhelming me the wonder of how this one unified story that leads to Jesus is unlike any other. It might come as no surprise to you then, if that is my heart, that we also are part of a community, a church community that loves the scriptures, that that seek to understand and interpret and apply them in our lives in a way that actually leads to real and profound change. We want to be a people, as I've mentioned already, that are immersed in and shaped by this story, his story, the good news of Jesus and his way, which we call or isn't called in the gospels the kingdom of God. And for us at the vineyard and network that we are part of, we have a high view of the Bible and the scripture. We come from a tradition across the church that believe it has authority for life and purpose. And one of our key values is when we come to a question, we ask the question, what does the scripture say? And we unpack that in community and we wrestle with that together. For us, rightly handling the Bible or the scriptures is a sacred entrustment 
one that we do with humility, in submission to others, through relationships and with a healthy sense of the fear of the Lord. We believe it to hold authority for life across every generation, culture, and movement. I want to read a couple of scriptures that you may be familiar with. These are letters of Paul leading a young leader called Timothy, entrusting him with something. And he says this, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, he's talking about the unpacking of the good news story of Jesus and of his teachings as revealed through the scriptures. He says this, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. He's saying, look, what I have entrusted to you, something important, sacred, valuable, entrust that to others who will be faithful in handling it and able to teach and entrust it to others. Holding the story, living in the story, teaching and entrusting the story to others. That is part of what it means to disciple and live in the way of Jesus. And then he says specifically to Timothy, he says, make every effort to present yourself approved to God, an unashamed workman who accurately handles the word of truth. He's encouraging him to say, look, I am entrusting something to you. This is important. Look after it. Um, and yet I know and I get and I'm fully aware that in this world and in, in, in the many understandings and complex competing stories that we have, it's not always easy to hold to the scripture story as sacred in this cultural moment. And it requires sensitivity and respect in how we examine, interpret, and understand it. And I, I deeply hold those things. If you know me, you hope you've got that from me. And the first thing is really important that we understand that the text is sacred. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. The scriptures are sacred. But each of us comes to that with a story, a worldview, a lens, you and me, RE teachers in the classroom, people from different cultural backgrounds, they come to something with a lens. They're not interpreting that independently. They have a viewpoint which they read onto the text. And so we all have that. And part of interpreting and living under this story is we come to this text with a holy sacredness, but we also recognize that we are not neutral when we read it. And part of the work of understanding it is recognizing what we bring to the table and allowing it to change us. Jesus had this beautiful view of scripture. This is not something that Jesus was not living under. He lived under the story in his life. He, he viewed himself and his interactions with the world through the Hebrew scriptures. He viewed himself as the fulfillment of them. He interpreted the prophetic, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, as, as, this, as a, a, an extension of that story and as the fulfillment of it. And then the early New Testament writers did exactly the same. They took the scripture story and they began to interpret who they understand Jesus to be in the story and what it meant for that story to continue. And I don't know if you know this, uh, and I, I stole this from someone else, uh, I think it was Pete Hughes, but um, when you were growing up in the early century of Palestine, and Jesus most likely would have been this, your school system was very different than what it is now. Anyone remember their first day at school? Yeah, what was it like? What do you remember about your first day at school anyway? Were you excited? Horrendous. Horrendous for something? <laughs> Catherine, you remember clearly? Uh, yeah, I remember being quite small. Yeah. Um, but I also have a bag, a little case that I remember. I oh, wow. I had my own bag. That's so cool. Important. Kale, can you remember anything? Uh, 
Oh, yeah? That's a good thing, is it? Yeah? <laughs> your parents are happy about that? Um, yeah, so, like, you remember your first day of school. Well, in early century Palestine, the, the, the schooling system, primary school, would have been a very uh, different uh, way of doing things. And, and on their first day of school, it's called Bet's Affair, which means literally house of the book. On their first day of school, um, you were given a slate. Um, most of you didn't get a slate on your first day of school. We're not that, we're not that old, are we? Anyway, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't think, think we're well past that. Um, but you would have received a slate, and uh, on your first day of school, you, would have, uh, you were going to be learning on that slate the Hebrew alphabet. You would have learned um, how to read and write. You would have learned, eventually, you would have learned to um, read and memorize the entire Torah. So by age 10 or 11, you would have left school and gone into either further education for a few people, but mostly you would have gone into a profession like carpentry or tent making or something like that, into your home's profession. But by the end of that period, you would have memorized the entire first five books of the Bible, which is incredible. Capacity for memory. Anyway, that's a whole other uh, train of thought. Um, but day one of primary school, Bet's Affair, House of the Book, was a special day. Um, you would have had your, your rabbi or your teacher would have taken the slate that you had in your hand and they would have poured honey all over the slate. And then they would have asked you to lick it off. Which, I don't know if that's nice or not. It depends on the slate a little bit. Um, but it was something deeply important and something that helped them understand that what you're about to do is something sacred. And it was right out of Sam. 119. I don't know if you've read this before. And I don't know if this is the psalmist remembering this moment or it's the psalmist or this moment came out of the psalms. I don't know that. I tried to find out, but I couldn't. Um, but it says this, Oh, how I love your law. It's talking about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. I meditate on it all day long. How sweet your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to the mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false path. Your word is a lamp onto my feet and a light onto my path. You can imagine that being your first day of school. You wouldn't forget that. Like, that's a moment. And what is, what is it that, that that worldview or that story is instilling? This is a sacred thing that you are being entrusted with. And so Jesus would have grown up with that view of the scriptures, he interpreted himself through the story. When he first is resurrected and is engaging with the disciples, so many of the texts talk about how he unpacked the story from Moses, that's the books of the Torah that he would have known, and all of his disciples would have probably known by heart, unpacked from the story and told his story through it. And I always would love to be a fly on the wall in those moments. But the disciples would have cherished the commands of God. They were the means of life. It was a sacred thing. There was a sacredness and a reverence towards scripture that we, I want to recapture. In many traditions, and maybe we'll do this for a time, I don't know, people stand for the reading of God's word. It's, it's a mark of respect and honor that this is something that has life and power. The scripture is sacred. And yet we come to it with all sorts of ideas and lenses and worldviews. And I've discovered this to be true of me. I'm sure at times it is true of you. We all tend to interpret God's reality contained in the scripture through our reality. So we come with our reality, our understanding of the world, the way we've been brought up, the things that we've learned to be important. 
the messages that we hear across our culture or our upbringing. And we, we tend to interpret what we read through that reality. And what I'm learning is actually God's invitation and the invitation of Jesus is the other way around. That we would begin to interpret our understanding of reality through his view of reality. And the scriptures are his view of reality. They are a lens through which we view and understand the world. And yes, they need to interpret it. We need to contextualize them. We need to do the work of hermeneutics, fancy way of saying, understanding the text and the meaning. But at its heart, we, we come to the text with a sense of reverence and sacredness that I, at times, have lost because of the culture that I live in. And yet, I'm discovering that every time I return to it, it confronts me. Like, I may, I try and read every day, it doesn't always happen, but maybe I go a few days with like, I'm watching some movies and some news and I'm flicking on uh, BBC or whatever, or Twitter, I'm not really on Twitter, but you know, you're on. And, and yeah, you kind of have all these ideas and then you come to the scripture and every time it's confronting to that, all the time. And that's just my story, you have your own story and way of viewing the world. And it's stirring and it's beautiful. And here's how I was trying to understand this and take it or leave it. And we must not hallow, I mean hallow, like treat as sacred, hallow our worldview and disdain the scripture. That's how most of our culture, at least in the West, come to the scripture. We must not hallow our worldview, put it above the scripture and disdain it. We must not hallow our worldview and read it onto the text or onto the scripture so that it says what we want it to say. We must hallow the scripture interpreted with an understanding that we hold a worldview through our relationship with the spirit and with one another. That's not easy, it's not complex, I'm not gonna be able to do that all this morning, but I just wanna give us some kind of grounding principles for how we unpack this together. I want you to be equipped, not just to take my word for it. Second thing I wanna share, and the scripture is sacred, the scripture is a story, and I've already been kind of talking a little bit about this, but the biblical account is a lens, a story that enables us to see the world as God sees the world. Rightly handled and understood, it is a sacred and powerful authority for life. How to see, understand, live in, and experience the world. Does that make sense when I say that? It is a story. And in this story, Jesus is the central character. He is the focal point of this biblical story. He's the center of the story. And I want to say this, if this makes sense. He is our interpretive key. What I mean by that is he is the one through whom we interpret the rest of the story and the writings that we have. And his core message, the kingdom of God, what we often say as the way of Jesus, is the way in which we view and come to the text. We understand the life, the ministry, and the teachings of Jesus as showing us what God's way, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven is like. We understand Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension and the giving of the Spirit as key kingdom events, moments in which the kingdom story works as the writers of the New Testament attest. And I could speak for hours, and sometimes I have, on the kingdom and on the way of Jesus, and we hope to continue to do that. That's not for today. But that's why we spent a bit of time trying to unpack the story together, what it means that the world is made beautiful, you know, what the story says about it being broken, what it means that Jesus has come 
to bring healing to the world and that one day the world will be whole. We're trying to set some foundations for the biblical story and give tools to one another to engage with the complex and competing narratives that we have around us. And the way of Jesus, this idea of the good news of Jesus and his kingdom, what the, the early Testament writers called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or in John's gospel, life unto the age or in Paul's writings, salvation or grace by faith. It's the same thing they're all talking about. It's not simply an idea. It's a way. It's a way of life. A way of living in the world, of seeing the world, of interacting with the world. It is a way that transforms and affects every part of our lives, our minds, our bodies, our emotions, our spirit. It's not something that we do on a Sunday or somewhere when we feel like it. It is actually the invitation of the kingdom and the invitation of Jesus to all of his disciples was not like, okay, here's another idea to put into all the stories that you have. See what you think. It was like, leave this, come follow me. And the early Testament writers, one of the writers of the Hebrews, puts it this way. He says, let's leave the foundational teachings of, that, of Christ and go on to maturity. And some of the things he says, the first one is this, uh, the teachings of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. It's like a, a dying to our way of seeing the world and a coming under his way of viewing the world over and over and over again. And I find that every time to be a source of life. You with me so far? I know this is like, this is like intense for uh, January, but I hope you're, you're hearing my passion. I hope it's stirring something in you. I hope it's helpful. Here's the challenge. Um, and I, I've mentioned this, but here's the challenge. It's not the only story out there. Our world, I've already said this, is full of ideas, ideologies. And an ideology is like a mental map or a system of ideas and ideals, especially one that forms maybe our political, cultural, economic ideas. But it's any um, uh, system of ideas that interprets the world around us. And there are many. Our world has a system of ideas, not just one. Depending on our cultural upbringing or our experience, we have a system of ideas which we have grown up in and live in. They shape how we understand often, how we see, how we experience and interact with the world. And none of them appeared in a vacuum. And I would, I would love nothing more than to do a deep dive in cultural theory with you this morning. It is my favorite thing, but it's not helpful. And it would bore most of you and lose the rest of you, so we'll leave it there. But... These stories did not come about in a vacuum. Every story is underpinned by a set of ideas that came from somewhere. It might have been a movement. It might have been a key event. It might have been a key set of uh, thinkers. None of these stories are, um, are neutral. None of them appear without a system of ideas. But here's the challenge. We don't hear them like that. The way we hear ideas, ideology, and stories is in soundbites or eight-second clips or things that, that, that sound good, that pull on our heart, and that maybe have a level of truth in them, but we never are told to unpack or wrestle with the story, to question what does that actually mean? 
And part of living in this story is not only challenging some of our religious ideals. Many of us grew up in religious settings that didn't interpret the story of the scripture well, and we had to unravel it and rediscover the wonder of the story. Not all of it, just some. But we needed to do the same with some of our cultural worldviews and ideas. Um, I, I thought of a few, if you're, if you're still with me for a moment. Um, some religious ones, some not. Just to illustrate what this is. These are just ones that I've heard, some recently, some and you may have heard them, and you probably have your own, but let me give you an example of these kind of sound bites. So first one I have is a friend of mine who, who said to me, God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that? Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah? You ever been brought up being told that? And your parents, don't tell me, did your parents say that? <laughs> God helps those who help themselves, okay? What I've discovered, and I don't know if this is a particular religious background thing, but um, when you unpick that idea, which sounds good. It sounds like, okay, you need to take responsibility for life. There's definitely some truth in it. But at its heart, it underpins a story that has much more to do with a certain work ethic and a way of achieving what you want in life and God having your back than it does about the good news story. And yet we drink this and say, yeah, 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 you're right. God helps those who help themselves. But when you unpack that, it's not necessarily the story. Do you understand what I'm trying to get? Let me give you another one. Everything happens for a reason. You ever had that? I've said it. I've said it before. I hear it all the time. It's, 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 there's some truth in it, okay? Like God is sovereign. He is at work in the world. Everything he works for our good. So there is some truth in that story. But when you unpack the underlying narratives, actually you realize that there's some really unhealthy ideas that form that thinking, which is that actually God is evil and some kind of pawn that is moving movements about. And so many that I've talked to, especially from different backgrounds, wrestle with a God who is the only character in the story. They have no notion of evil, they have no notion of a broken world. And the language has come from this. Everything happens for a reason. God is somehow manipulating an event. So when you experience tragedy, it happened for a reason. It's going to come again. Do you see the subtlety of some of the soundbacks? I'll give you some more. Is this interesting to you? It's interesting to me. And so keep going for a moment. Okay, let me give you some cultural ones. Uh, you got to be true to yourself. You heard that one? That's, that, that's, that's, a, that's the biggest one I know. I was reading some magazines to try and get some, and like this was all over it. And so like, how to be true to yourself and live the life you want. That was like some of the messaging that I was uh, getting. And that sounds good. There is definitely some truth in it. But when you start to unpack some of the thinking behind it, it has a worldview that actually has more to do with me at the center of my story me controlling and deciding what is good and right, and it has no notion of Christ at the center of the story. And yet, I would say that. People would say that to us all the time. Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about? Um, I won't give you any more, because that's about oh. But you, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> we can do it another time. You can come up with your own, and we'll have a whole session on it. Um, here, here's the heart of it, as I kind of kind of learn. <coughs> In the kingdom story, Christ is the center of it. There are multiple competing stories depending on your upbringing, cultural background. But what I've discovered or what I would suggest is the key element that is the heart of all of them, regardless of what side of the fence it's on, political leaning it has, is that you are the center of your story. That's the key motif through which everything else is turned. God is out, I am in. I am the one that determines how the world operates. And if you say otherwise, then I dare you. 
And yet the kingdom is not that story. The kingdom is to move us out of the center of the story and Christ into the center. If the cross is not the remedy of the story, then it's not the kingdom story. The stories that we hear and that our world tells are built around a salvation arc. What that means is they are a salvation story to bring you to some kind of utopia. And all of them have different ideas about what will get us there, whether it's free pleasure and do whatever you want, whether it's some kind of form of economic policy. And some of them have, all of them have truth in them. I'm not dismissing everything that we grew up in. There's a lot of good stuff out there. But the crux of the story is that the cross is the remedy of the story. And sometimes when I read the scriptures, Jesus celebrates something in my culture and, and he says, go for that. And sometimes he confronts something in it. and says, that's not my way. Sometimes he confronts some of the religious ideas that I have and challenges me to live under his story and not under my religious upbringing. Is this making sense? Hopefully. Saying says the world is not neutral. John writes this, he says, for that all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. Paints this picture of the world, which is a system of ideas, not the same as the ones we have now, but the story of Jesus in early century Palestine was not the dominant story. It was in the middle of a range of competing stories, whether you were aligned with the, um, the government and the Roman oppression, or whether you were aligned with the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the Essenes. There were all sorts of stories that were being told. And Jesus comes and he says, no, this is the story that I want you to live under. It's my story. It's the story of the good news of Jesus as king. We'll unpack this in future weeks. I, I won't go um, too much into this, but I want to just give you one last thing. And that is that the scripture is sacred. The scripture is story. The scripture is sacramental. What I mean by that is the scripture is not just something to be studied and interpreted. It is, but it is also something to be experienced. It is something that we get to uh, encounter the God behind its pages. The scriptures are alive. They are to be experienced and breathed into our lives. We not only study them, but we encounter them with the Spirit in community. It is a holy, experiential means of grace. That's what a sacrament is. It's a way in which we experience the presence of the King. And the scriptures, sometimes they are to be studied and understood. And that's important that we do that. And then there are moments where we read it and something hits our heart or moves our emotion, or challenges our bodies, and it's an encounter with the God of the universe. It's an explosion of light and life. Jesus said it this way to the devil in the desert, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is as deeply important as bread in my life. And when I'm malnourished on the scripture, I'm struggling to, to navigate the world in which I live. And Jesus lures out from the glory of who he is into some idea that's not worth thinking about. And yet when I engage with the story of the scripture, it opens me to the wonder and the glory of King Jesus. First one of these is make a plan to get into scripture. 
That's my response for this morning. And I am going to pray for us a minute because I felt like there were some things particularly we wanted to pray for. But I just want to give you a moment and an action to do this week if you haven't already done it. Do something that gets you into Scripture as often as you can. If daily is too much, start weekly. Start small. Make it doable. Make it something that you enjoy and can encounter. And just do it over and over again. If you don't do this normally, take it five minutes. Don't, don't like I say, I'm going to read through all of Genesis this week and then you burn out. Take something small. If you struggle to read, listen to it. Watch the Bible Project videos. Take something that's helpful, some really helpful tools or the Bible Project, getting a, a U version or a Bible on your phone, um, signing up to a plan. Find, find, you can do a plan with somebody else. Maybe you can do it with a friend or a family if you find that difficult. Maybe you read the Gospels. Maybe you read a psalm. It doesn't matter. Just find some way for you to engage with scripture as often as you can. And I guarantee you it will be like honey in your lips. It might not be like that every day. Some days you might be like, I don't understand. <laughs> Some days it'll be like, oh, this is hard. But over time, you'll begin to discover that it's light to your path and a lamp onto your feet. And it'll begin to guide you in a way that most people don't know how to navigate. I mean this with the utmost humility and respect for every person in this world. Most people don't have a clue how to do life, even us. Mm-hmm. But I'm increasingly convinced that in the story of Jesus and the scripture is a way of life that is unlike any other. It is not easy. You cannot pick and choose it. It is an all-in immersive kind of life. And yet, I don't know of any other kind of way that does what it does. And that's me. Mm-hmm. Can I pray for us? Yeah. Why don't you put your hands out or your hands in your heart? My first idea was to have little uh, slates of honey for you to lick, but it didn't kind of work out. So you can just imagine that. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to create more room for responsiveness as a community, chances to pray for one another. I really want us to step into that a little bit more. But for today, I want you just where you are with your hand on your heart or your hands out just to receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit for interpreting and understanding the scripture. And I'm going to pray for us. I want to pray for our young people. Um, A lot of this Resting and rediscoveries come out of conversations with Eli and others that just, it's a difficult world to navigate. And uh, maybe that's just a parent thing. <laughs> but it is. And yet, I think God is looking for people who are hungry for the scriptures, who love the world in which they're in, but are not of it. And so I want to pray for you guys first, if that's okay. So God, I pray for guys here and who aren't here this morning that are seeking to live out the way of Jesus or figure that out in the world that they live in, 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 in environments where it's not easy and it's not, it's not the done thing and it's not the dominant story. I pray supernaturally through the infilling of your Holy Spirit, you would give them wisdom 
a gift from heaven that is seen to be true through their lives. I pray even this week that you would just meet them through your word. I pray that something would go off in them that is born of God, that sees clearly the good news of Jesus and his way. And I pray for those that are seeking to articulate it to others. Like you said to your disciples, don't be afraid. Don't be too worried about trying to plan what you have to say before you say it. For when you are before people, I, through the Holy Spirit, will give you what you need to say in that moment. I pray that you would be on their lips and on their tongues. And that you would awaken a hunger in their schools and friendship groups for the Word of God, for the Scripture. Out of nowhere. From people that don't usually think about that stuff. 